We'll read Zechariah 13, 1 to 6, and our study this time is verses 3 to 6, the denunciation of the false prophets. They will be ashamed and they will be destroyed, destroyed by God. Beginning at verse 1. In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. And it will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. And it will come about that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who gave birth to him will say to him, You shall not live, for you have spoken falsely in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. Also, it will come about in that day that the prophets will each be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, and they will not put on a hairy robe in order to deceive. But he will say, I am not a prophet, I am a tiller of the ground, for a man sold me as a slave in my youth. And one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? Then he will say, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Amen. In our study last time, we saw that verse 1 is actually something that relates to chapter 12, verses 10 to 14. In the previous chapter, the last paragraph, because in 12, 10 to 14, we have a section or paragraph on redemption, redemption in Christ. 12.10 is a prophecy of the crucifixion of Christ because it says they will look on me whom they have pierced. And that verb to pierce means to put to death or to execute. And that is clear from chapter 13, verse 3, because it says his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. And this has to do with the death penalty or an execution. The verb is the same both in Hebrew and English to pierce. And it is clearly, therefore, in 12, 10 to 14, a prophecy of Christ. Well, because he dies on the cross for our sins, therefore, the fountain who is the Lord, we know that the Lord is the fountain from Jeremiah 2, 13, 17, 13, and also from John, John seven thirty seven to 39, the Lord is the fountain. And the fountain of the Lord, that is the blood of the Lord, his death on the cross, pays for our sin and cleanses us from all impurities. That's verse 1. That is the fountain that God will open up for us, known as the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. But then, in contrast, we have verses 2 to 6. Last time we saw that, in contrast, the unbelievers, the reprobate, the wicked, those who do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be cut off and they will be removed. And he says it in terms of idols being removed and cut off from the land and false prophets removed from the land and also unclean spirits. The False prophets are clearly false prophets as we proceed in verses 3 and 4. The prophets of verse 2 are false. The unclean spirit has to do with demons or evil spirits, fallen angels. They also will be removed from the land because of the work of God and the power of God. 
That's in verses 1 and 2. But then, even though God is in the work, he is in the process of removing the false prophets, there will be false prophets, false teachers persisting. They will continue. Though they see the judgment of God on other false prophets, it doesn't move them to repentance. They continue because they are too stubborn, too adamant, too proud in their false beliefs and their false prophecies, false teachings, as false teachers, that they will continue. Because it says in verse 3, And it will come about that if anyone still prophesies, they are bent in sin and they will continue to do it. Some will. They will still prophesy. But when that happens, that they still prophesy, they persist, they refuse to repent, then what will happen? Then his father and mother who gave birth to him will say to him, his own parents who gave birth to him. We're not talking about uh, stepfather, stepmother. We're not talking about adopted father, adopted mother. We're talking about flesh and bones, your own blood. Father and mother who gave birth to him, they who are righteous, righteous parents, will say to the son or the daughter, you shall not live. You shall not live. Because they love the Lord so much, they know that false prophets deserve to die, even if it's their own flesh and blood, their own son or daughter. They say, you shall not live. For you have spoken falsely, In the name of the Lord. False speaking in the name of the Lord. It is a grievous sin to use the name of the Lord, but not truly speak for the Lord. To speak contrary to his word, contrary to his word, contrary to his wisdom, contrary to his Holy Spirit. It is a grievous sin, a serious sin and solemn sin that deserves the death penalty for anyone who speaks in the name of the Lord falsely. These parents know it. The godly parents know it. Therefore, it says, and his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. They will execute him. They will put him to death. They will pierce him through when he does so. They will be the first to do it. This, this is explaining the end of a process, an end point of an investigation to investigate thoroughly and then act in this way. The hands of those first witnesses are to be first against those who deserve the death penalty. We shall see from a couple of cross-references that that is the case. Further then, verse 4. Also, it will come about in that day that the prophets will each be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, and they will not put on a hairy robe in order to deceive. They will be ashamed. Why will they be ashamed? Because God will hold them accountable, and they will shrink away from Christ in shame at his coming, as it says in 1 John 2, 28 to 29. They will be ashamed. They will be humiliated. They will be down, uh, beaten down by the power of God. The glory of God 
will make them ashamed. Moreover, they are prevented from putting on a hairy robe in order to deceive. They will wear the garments, wear the garb of a prophet. So they're going to come, as Jesus said, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're actually ravenous wolves. They're going to come as though they are true prophets, true teachers, good and true disciples of Christ. They're going to wear uh, the garments of those who are true disciples, but they're not true disciples. They are false disciples. They are false prophets. And they do have a deliberate purpose. They have a, a purpose that's not an accident, but intentional. It says there, in order to deceive. Yes, false prophets, they're not doing it accidentally. They're doing it willingly. They want to deceive the people. They want to deceive the people for their own benefits, whether it's fame, fortune, fun, or all of the above. False prophets want that. They want that, and therefore they need to get the people, a lot of people, to side with them. And if a lot of people side with them, they'll get their sinful way. They want to deceive. The deliberate, malicious intentions of false prophets is clear in verse 4. But then we find in verses 5 and 6, but he will say, when confronted, the false prophet will say, this is the false prophet in verse 5, but he will say, I am not a prophet. I am a tiller of the ground, for a man sold me as a slave in my youth. He's going to claim when he is confronted, when he is investigated, when he is being arrested and interrogated, he's going to say, listen, I'm not a prophet. Who said I was a prophet? They're going to pretend and lie that they're not prophets. I am merely a tiller of the ground, and I'm a slave. And I've been a slave and a tiller of the field, of the ground, working in the farmer's field since I was a youth. I haven't been in the cities. I haven't been going about finding the rich, the wealthy, the influential people. I've been over here in no man's land. I've been in the field, in the open field, working hard all day long as a slave. I'm just a slave working in the field. I'm not a busybody finding people to deceive. That's not what I'm doing. Well, now he's continuing to deceive because he doesn't want to be confronted and punished for his sins. Further, verse 13, And one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? Well, if you are that, then who is it that sought to harm you? Who is it that sought to, it seems, put you to death and was unsuccessful? Who is it that charged you who approached you and knew you were a false prophet prophesying falsely and attempted to put you to death, but were, they were unsuccessful. Why are you having these wounds here between your arms? What happened? Then he will say, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends, which is a lame excuse, and it's obvious. He is just impulsive and he's blurting whatever comes to his mind very quickly because he's being confronted and he doesn't want to be put to death. So he says, I was wounded in the house of my friends. 
Well, why were you wounded in the house of your friends if they are your friends? They shouldn't have been doing anything to you. Why would friends be violent against you? So there we have him continuing to deceive and lie to avert the judgment of God. But he won't be able to avert the judgment of God. That's very clear in verses 2 to 4, especially verses, yes, 2 to 4 in our passage. They will be judged. It will definitely happen. Okay, last time, for verse 2, we saw a couple of chapters in the book of Ezekiel. But this time, to illustrate the fact that these false prophets, they, even though they are confronted, they do it again and again and again and again. There is no letting up with them. They won't let up until God finally punishes them. Then they will understand. But up to that point, they won't understand. They persist and they refuse to repent. Let's see this kind of persistent, stubborn rebellion against God. To do a study of false prophets, the book of Jeremiah is an ideal place. So let's turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. We'll read several parts here to show that these prophets are very vile, wicked people. They continue even though they are warned again and again. They won't quit until ultimately God punishes them. And we'll see what God thinks of them. It's not a light matter to be a false prophet or prophetess. It's not a light matter at all. It's very, very serious. It's a grave sin worthy of death. Jeremiah 2, 4. Jeremiah 2, 4 to 8. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and walked after emptiness, and became empty? And they did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, of pits, through a land of drought and of deep darkness, through a land that no one crossed, and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into the fruitful land to eat its fruit and its good things. But you came and defiled my land, and my inheritance you made an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and walked after things that did not profit. Why did the people defect from God? Why did they turn away from God, even though he provided abundantly for them out of Egypt and in the wilderness, and then gave them the inheritance of the land of Canaan? But once they inherited Canaan, they made Canaan a rich, fruitful land, a good land, an abomination. How? By worshiping idols, false gods. And we see in verse 8, those who should have known better, but did not do better. Know better and do better. Verse 8, the priests, those who handle the law, the rulers, and the prophets. 
the priests, those who handle the law, meaning those who transmit it, those who are very familiar with it, those who teach it, the rulers, and the prophets. And what was the problem? The priests did not say, where is the Lord? They did not consult the Lord. They did not seek to have His presence with them. Those who handled the law did not know me. That means those who were teaching the Bible did not even know God. The rulers transgressed against me. They should be controlling the sins of the people so that the people are not unruly. But the rulers were unruly because they transgressed against God. And then the prophets. The prophets who claim to be prophets of the Lord are also prophesying by an idol, Baal. And all of this doesn't profit anybody. Here, Jeremiah, the true prophet, and actually he was also among the priests, the priestly families in the town of Anothoth in the land of Benjamin. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Jeremiah was both a priest and a prophet, a true priest and a true prophet. But he's here denouncing the false priests, the false teachers, the false rulers, and the false prophets. Why so? Well, two, two reasons. The vast majority of people follow the false ones. That's one. And why? Because the false ones promise false things to the people. And the people want to hear it and want to soothe their guilty conscience that everything is fine both now and on the day of judgment. But it's not fine. But also, there's a tendency of some people to have what's called sacerdotalism. Sacerdotalism means that merely or simply because somebody holds an office, it might be a governmental office, it might be a religious office, it might even be an office in the business, like somebody who's a manager or a president, that automatically he must know what he's doing, he must know what he's talking about. That's called sacerdotalism. Now that may be the case, and we should defer, and we should consult, and we should listen to them first, of course, but it doesn't mean automatically that just because somebody's a manager, or somebody's the president of a company, or somebody is a priest or a pastor, or a politician and in control of the county or of the state or of the country that he knows what he's talking about all the time. That's not necessarily the case. So we as the people must practice discernment and say, no, he's wrong here and he's wrong there and we will not do what he's telling us to do. Jeremiah did so. And very few followed the example of Jeremiah. Another place will be in chapter 2, verses 26 to 28. 226 to 20, uh, 226 to 28 says, As the thief is shamed when he is discovered, so the house of Israel is shamed. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets, who say to a tree, You are my father. And to a stone, you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, Arise and save us. 
But where are your gods which you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. These same leaders of the people, the people themselves, the kings, the princes, priests, and prophets, all of them are to be put to shame because they are saying to an idol, you created us, you gave birth to us, when that's not the case. And then when their trouble comes, when their calamity or punishment comes, they're going to call on the Lord and say, arise and save us, but the Lord's not going to save them. He's not going to answer their prayer. People think God always answers your prayer. He doesn't always answer. Verse 28, God's going to say to you, to anyone, but where are your gods which you made for yourself? He's going to mock them. He's going to taunt them. He's going to say, go call out to those gods. Let them arise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. Do you lack any number of gods? For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. That's God's answer to them because they refuse to repent. And then they call upon God lately, which is too late. Today is the day of salvation. Today is, not tomorrow. We continue to chapter 14. Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 10 to 18. Jeremiah 14, 10. Thus says the Lord to this people, Even so, they have loved to wander. They have not kept their feet in check. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and call their sins to account. So the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. When they fast, I am not going to listen to their cry. And when they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I am not going to accept them. Rather, I am going to make an end of them by the sword, famine, and pestilence. But, ah, Lord God, I said, look, the prophets are telling them, you will not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I will give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who are prophesying in my name, although it was not I who sent them, yet they keep saying, they shall be, there shall be no sword or famine in this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall meet their end. The people also to whom they are prophesying will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and there will be no one to bury them, neither them, nor their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I shall pour out their own wickedness on them. And you will say this word to them, let my eyes flow down with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people has been crushed 
with a mighty blow, with a sorely infected wound. If I go out to the country, behold, those slain with the sword. Or if I enter the city, behold, diseases of famine. For both prophet and priest have gone roving about in the land that they do not know. God tells Jeremiah he's done with the people. There's no point in them offering sacrifice. I'm not going to forgive their sins. I'm going to remember their sins against them and punish them. So don't pray for them. Jeremiah, verse 11 says, So the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. It doesn't matter how much they fast. It doesn't matter how much they cry out. It doesn't matter how many sacrifices they offer. I will not accept them, verse 11. I'm going to punish them. It's too late. I shall punish them. And in contrast to that word, the false prophets in the name of God, we see that in 14 and 15, it says, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. Verse 15, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who are prophesying in my name, although it was not I who sent them. They used the name of the Lord, but the Lord didn't send them. Therefore, they, along with the people who follow them, will be utterly destroyed. These are just a few examples in the book of Jeremiah. And for further study in the future, if you would like, there are full chapters that cover this subject. That would be chapter 23, all of Jeremiah 23, and then all of chapters 26 to 29. Jeremiah chapters 26 to 29 are devoted to making a clear contrast between Jeremiah the true prophet and all of the false prophets, who are the vast majority, who keep on giving false hope to the people, false assurances to the people. We saw here, both in Zechariah and in Jeremiah, that they are using the name of the Lord, but they're doing it in vain. This is what God warned them in Exodus chapter 20. In the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, in the Third Commandment, verse 7, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Often we apply this verse for using the Lord's name in profanity when people don't really mean it. And that is one application of it. But I think, according to Scripture, the primary way that this is applied is when people say they belong to the Lord, they know the Lord, or the Lord spoke to them, or that they are prophets of God. Whenever they make this claim, taking the name of the Lord on their lips to make an assertion, to make a claim, to allege something like that, yes, I am a prophet, or yes, I'm speaking in the name of the Lord, yes, the Holy Spirit told me, the Lord impressed upon my heart. When people do things like that, 
in order to, manip- to manipulate their audience, they are taking God's name in vain. God didn't send them, but they're saying God sent them. And it says here, God will not leave him unpunished. There will certainly be a punishment. Now, what is this punishment? What is the punishment? The punishment is death. Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, 6 to 11. Deuteronomy 13, 6. If your brother, your mother's son, or your son or daughter, or the wife you cherish, or your friend who is as your own soul, entice you secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, whom neither you nor your fathers have known, of the gods of the peoples who are around you, near you or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other end. You shall not yield to him or listen to him, and your eye shall not pity him, nor shall you spare or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. So you shall stone him to death because he has sought to seduce you from the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid and will never again do such a wicked thing among you. Here we are told in verses 6 to 11 that even if it is one in our own family, even it says the wife you cherish, literally it says the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is as your own soul, which means, as we say, a soulmate, a friend who is a soulmate, meaning you are kindred spirits, you're, you are like-minded in so many ways, even if it's a friend that's a very close friend, even if he were to do it, anyone to tempt us to follow and go worship other gods, it says, verse 8, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, and your eye shall not pity him, nor shall you spare or conceal him. And then the process, verses nine, verse 9 says, You shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death. That's like Zechariah 13, where it's the parents who first hear it, and then the parents who first raise up their hand against their son to put him to death. <laughs> then the rest of the people are to do it in that way. And this is supposed to be a warning so that nobody else does the same. Now, in the case of whether this is done flippantly or without due process, that question is answered in Deuteronomy 17, 2 to 7. Deuteronomy 17, verse 2. If there is found in your midst, in any of your towns, which the Lord your God is giving you, a man or a woman who dies, uh, or excuse me, who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God by transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshiped them, 
or the sun, or the moon, or any of the heavenly host, which I have not commanded. And if it is told you, and you have heard of it, then you shall inquire thoroughly. There we have a key phrase, inquire thoroughly. And behold, if it is true, and the thing certain, that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out that man or that woman who has done this evil deed, to your gates, that is, the man or the woman, and you shall stone them to death. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst." In another case, in another case, we have it in chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18, which is a context of prophets going from 1815 to 22, 1815 to 22. We're going to see a couple of verses that predict the coming of Christ. And then the people will ask a question, but how are we supposed to know the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet? And the Lord answers. 18.15 The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your countrymen you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who shall speak a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he shall speak in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And you may say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So don't listen. If they are detracting us from true doctrine and the true God, or if they predict something and the prediction does not come true. Don't listen. Don't believe them and don't be afraid of them. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Here we find Christ saying similar words of where our allegiance should be. Our first primary supreme allegiance should be to Christ or the Lord and not to anyone else, including the members of our own family. Matthew 10, 34 to 39. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, 
but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Our supreme allegiance must be to Christ, above father, mother, and anyone else. Second Peter chapter 2. Is God ready to judge the false prophets and the false teachers with death? Yes. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. God will judge, and God will destroy these false prophets because they are leading people into destructive heresies. It says in 2 Peter 3, verse 16, after commending the Apostle Paul, he says in verse 16, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. If we distort the scriptures, it's to our own destruction. And 1 John 4 verse 1 tells tells us that there are many false prophets. People think, no, false prophets, they're just a little here, a little there. But everybody else is in it for the right reason. But 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John 4, verse 1. Returning to Zechariah, Zechariah 13, verse 4, he says here that these people will be ashamed. They will be ashamed. It tells us in 1 John 2, 28 to 29, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence, and not shrink away from him, in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. 
Also, Mark 8. Mark 8, 38. The book of Mark, chapter 8, and verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If we are ashamed of Christ now, he will be ashamed of us when he returns and then put us to shame. Zechariah 13.4 mentions as well the hairy robe. The hairy robe in order to deceive. In 2 Kings 1 verse 8, it teaches that Elijah the prophet wore such a robe. 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 8. Elijah the prophet. It says, And they answered him, He was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. The leather girdle or the leather belt about his loins may be indicative of his robe also being made of skin. And then we have Isaiah chapter 20. Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 2. Isaiah also being a true prophet is said to... wear something that is hairy or rough on him. 20 verse 2. At that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loosen the sackcloth from your hips and take your shoes off your feet. And he did so, going naked and barefoot. Then in the New Testament book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 4. Matthew chapter 3 verse 4. John the Baptist, it says, 3 verse 4. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. In that John wore this leather belt or leather girdle, it says also he had a garment of camel's hair or a robe of camel's hair that might have been the same thing that Elijah the prophet wore. So in this way, and John was Elijah before the coming of Christ, right? According to Malachi 4, 4 to 6, that Elijah would come. And what Malachi meant was that John the Baptist would come. And this is confirmed in Matthew eleven fourteen, when Jesus is speaking of John the Baptist, Matthew eleven fourteen, he says, If you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who was to come. Meaning, coming in the spirit and power of Elijah, such as it says in Luke 1, 16 and 17. Luke 1, 16 says, And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. He is John the Baptist. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous 
so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is the sense in which John the Baptist is Elijah. He's not a reincarnation of Elijah, contrary to some within Christianity who say that, and Hindus and Buddhists who like to say the Bible teaches reincarnation. That's not what the Bible means. It's meaning he's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's what it means. And so, if the prophets dress that way, wouldn't the false prophets also seek to dress that way? To deceive the people, right? Businessmen, usually they have a certain uniform or attire, especially if it's in one company, right? They're supposed to dress a certain way. You go to a restaurant, the employees are supposed to dress a certain way, right? So in the same thing with the profession or the calling of prophethood, there is a certain kind of clothing that they wore. And we just saw that. But false prophets, false prophets will do the same. Jesus said the following, Matthew 7, 15. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False prophets will come in sheep's clothing, the skin of animals. They'll come like that, but really don't think of them as true prophets. They are ravenous wolves. They are so hungry that they are on the prowl looking for sheep to devour. So they dress like sheep to devour sheep because the sheep will be caught off guard if that happens. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is in order to deceive, right? As the prophet says. 2 Corinthians 11 3 to 4. But I am afraid, lest as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. You bear this beautifully means you tolerate it. You put up with people like this. You put up with deceivers. Why do you put up with deceivers? Don't bear with them. Verse 13, 11, 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Satan disguises himself. The servants of Satan disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. It should be no surprise that false prophets disguise themselves. Then it is for the purpose of Deception. It is for the purpose of deception. It is not an accident. Even if it were an accident, it would be wrong. Aren't car accidents wrong? Isn't the one who causes a car accident in the wrong? Nobody lets him off the hook, right? 
So you're still wrong, even if it's an accident. But people think, no, no, these people, these teachers, they're just ignorant. Then why are they teaching? They just don't know. Well, then why are they there? They should keep quiet and sit down and let somebody else teach. Somebody who knows what he's talking about. But these people are deliberate. It's intentional. Acts chapter 20, in order to deceive. Acts chapter 20, 28, 28 to 31. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. It says in verse 30, they arise, why? To draw away. That's expressing the purpose. To draw away, in order to draw away. They want to take people away. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Verses 1, uh, sorry, verses 6 and 7. Galatians 1, 6 and 7. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says they want to distort the gospel of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 4, 2, 4. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Doesn't that sound deliberate? If they are false brethren secretly brought in, then they are in cahoots. There is some scheme going on. Correct? They're consulting others who are saying, yes, they're whispering, yes, go, go over there, go infiltrate them, go infiltrate. So it's scheming. They're wanting to do it. It's deliberate. In order, and here's another purpose, in order to bring us into bondage, they want to enslave people with a false gospel. False teachers do so on purpose. Well, then, their judgment. They may try to escape judgment, but they will not escape judgment. That's in verses 5 and 6. Remember when confronted, the false prophet says, I'm a tiller. I'm not a prophet. No, 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 no. I'm not a prophet. I'm a tiller. I'm a tiller and a slave. That's who I am. And these wounds between my arms, my friends did it. My friends did it. Amos. Amos chapter 5. Let's turn to the book of Amos. Back a few pages. Amos chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. They may use these excuses, but God will find them out. Amos five eighteen. 
Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home, leans his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? The people think it's going to be well and swell on the day of judgment, the day of the Lord. So don't bother me with all that judgment talk, day of judgment. No, no, don't bother me. I already believe, I already believe it's okay. And I'm, I'm going to escape punishment. But God's saying here, you have a false hope. It's going to be a day of darkness, not light. It's going to be like a man who flees from a lion and thinks, oh, I missed, I missed the lion, the lion, the king of the jungle. I missed him. He missed me. He didn't, he didn't devour me. But then a bear meets him. That's not a pleasant encounter either. Or he goes home, leans his hand against the wall. He's resting. But then a snake bites him in his own house where he thought he had refuge, where he thought he had protection, but then a snake bites him in his own house. God will catch up to these evildoers because they won't repent. He'll catch up to them and he will punish them. Isaiah 24, Isaiah 24, 17 and 18. The chapter is a warning of impending judgment. The whole chapter is, but... In 17 and 18, God eventually catches up with the wicked. 24:17. Terror and pit and snare confront you, O inhabitant of the earth. Then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. For the windows above are opened and the foundations of the earth shake. This is also, in, in a sense, indicative of the way it was during the great flood in the days of Noah. The people were mocking, likely mocking as they usually do, mocking judgment. And when Noah was preaching that the flood would come for 120 years, nobody prepared himself. Only eight people were spared, right? Nobody prepared. And there would have been, at the very least, tens of millions of people on the earth. But more likely, according to statistical analysis from Genesis in the time of Adam to the time of Noah, from Genesis 1 to Genesis chapter 6, there would have been 1,656 years that passed. So there would have been at the least hundreds of millions of people, if not several billions of people on the earth. But they didn't listen. And what would they do once the rain comes and falls? Okay, they might run as they see that it's not letting up. And they might run to a, a higher place or they might run to a place they think is secure, but the water catches up to them. And then catches up to them. And finally they drown. No matter how fast they run up on a high hill or a tall mountain, they all drown. 
That's the way God will catch up and destroy the wicked. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.